Grace is everywhere. These are the closing lines of that famous novel by Georges Bernanos, The Diary of a Country Priest. In fact, those are the, the last words, the dying words of the priest himself as the book comes to an end. Grace is everywhere. Um, those words are markedly different than the words that open the novel when the priest introduces himself by saying, uh, almost dismissively, my parish is just like any other. My parish is just like any other. Um, the rest of the novel is about how he goes from just thinking um, that his world and his neighborhood and his life was just, just ordinary. He goes through a time of great suffering, of great trial, of failure after failure, and at the end is able finally to say, actually through the midst of his suffering and sickness, that grace is everywhere. Maybe that's where you are today. Um, as you're sitting at home, you say, my life is just like any other. My life is ordinary. Um, or maybe you're saying, hey, my home is ordinary or we are living in extraordinary times. But you say, my life basically looks like everyone else's right now. Um, wouldn't it be absolutely beautiful if by the end of your life or even in the midst of it, even as we all are suffering in various ways at present, we could also be able at the same time to say and actually to see that grace is everywhere. To that end, I'm, in this video, I'm, at the beginning, I'm going to give you three ways uh, that you can kind of enter in to the life of God. Three ways that will give you some practical things to do as you seek to have your eyes open to the grace that abounds in ubiquity all around. And then, after that, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 6, and we're going to look at a story that you probably even heard as you, when you were a kid. The story of Jesus in verses 45 to 52. The story of Jesus walking on the water. So here we go. Three things that you can do practically uh, while you're at home, while your routines are upended, that will allow you hopefully to have eyes opened to God's grace even in the midst of this time. So the first thing I want you to do is to hear the gospel. Now, we could recite the Apostles' Creed here. You can look that up if you aren't familiar with it, which is just a short, uh, ecumenical, um, condensed summary of the Bible and of the good news of Jesus. But I want you to hear this morning especially during this time of pandemic and suffering, that God in Jesus Christ is for you. That God loves you to such a degree that Jesus freely gave up his life for your sake so that you can be free of sin and death and especially fear of all of those things so that you might experience freedom. God in Jesus has adopted you into his family so that you can now in faith, be called a child of God. With that comes both um, a sharing in God's mission of love to the world, 
and also the assurance by the Holy Spirit's deposit in your heart of an inheritance that awaits you in heaven. Uh, for Christians, death is not the end. That is the story we live by, uh, a story that is founded upon faith, not fear. Uh, the fundamental reality of your life is that you are loved. Remember that, especially during this season. That's going to be pretty practical for you because we all live from a story. What is your story um, going to be? So first, hear and live out of the gospel. Um, the second thing that I would like for you to attend to um, kind of comes from an article that I read this week by a bishop, Catholic bishop, actually out in California, who reminded me of a line by Blaise Pascal who said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Pascal, a brilliant mind and devout Christian, said that all of humanity's problems stem from men and women's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. He was actually not talking about uh, social isolation or stay-at-home orders when he said that. No, he was talking about the foundational aspects of Christian prayer and discipline. So solitude and silence. We've been talking about some of these things. I reminded you of them last week. Uh, to sit quietly in a room alone. Alone means in solitude. Alone to be there with God. Um, quietly is the silence piece. A place, uh, you know, solitude removes you from other people. Silence removes you even from the echo chamber of your own thoughts so that you can hear from God. Solitude, silence, and fasting are foundational aspects of foundational disciplines of abstention in the Christian life. I want you to continue to practice those, Newland Presbyterian. And I want you to practice disciplines of engagement. Remember, our Christian faith is not just about saying no to bad things. It is about saying yes to life-giving things, um, grace-filled things from God. So we study. Maybe you have more time to do that right now than you ever have before. You worship. You continue. That's what you're doing now, thankfully. We continue to worship even though we're unable to meet in body during this time. We still are gathered together as the one body of Jesus, and we worship as one in the Spirit. Uh, continue to study and worship and celebrate. I know there's a lot to mourn and to grieve at this time. The ill health of people around the world, the deaths that are uh, growing in number each day. I do want you to grieve those things and pray for those things. But I still yet desire for you to celebrate because grace is everywhere in life and in death. So, uh, those are the first two things. I want you to remember to live out of the gospel. I want you to continue giving yourself to Christian disciplines. Maybe even learn how to sit quietly in a room alone. And finally, I would like for you uh, to pick one of the gospels. Here's something new. Pick Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and read the entirety of that gospel between now and Easter. That's two weeks away. Basically, a chapter or two a day will get you there. I want you to pick one of the Gospels and read through them in the next two weeks, but I want you to read through them in a new way. 
perhaps a new way for you. It's, it's, it's actually an, an old way. It's called the way of Lectio Divina, divine reading. It has four stages. The first stage is Lectio, to read, to read carefully the chapter that you have before you in one of those Gospels. The next stage is Meditatio. That means meditation, uh, to meditate on that section uh, of the reading that really stood out to you. As, as you were reading, what gripped you? For example, let's say that you were reading about Jesus uh, healing the leper. And the passage, the, the part of the passage that really stood out to you was the fact that Jesus reached out and touched this man who was infected, whom no one else would come near or touch because uh, the likelihood of contagion was so high. But Jesus came to this one who was sick and he reached out and he touched him and he made him well. As you meditate on that, that stood out to you. So maybe as you meditate on that, you can say, wow, I, I recognize that I too am sick, that I too am sinful, that I too struggle with various things that are also contagious, that contaminate the people around me and my relationships in the world. But Jesus loves me enough to draw near to me and to touch me. And that by touching me, he is not made sick. Instead, he brings purity of heart to my life. And so you can see how you, you lectio, you read, then you meditate. The next stage is oratio. You speak, you begin to pray. You turn your observations, your questions, your thoughts um, about this passage as you've considered it to God, and you speak those aloud to God. And finally, after reading, after meditating, after speaking them to God, you contemplate, you, you contemplate, you listen. You stop thinking, talking, and you listen to how God might respond to you. If you do this, the scriptures are gonna be open to you in a new way, and God is going to be opened to you in a new way. Uh, if you, if you will do these things, ground yourself in the good news of the gospel. If you will continue to practice uh, these spiritual disciplines um, of solitude, silence, fasting, study, worship, and celebration. If you will pick out one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, read through it in the next two weeks, practicing the um, pattern of Lectio Divina, uh, reading, meditating, speaking, praying these back to God, and then listening for God's response. I dare say that you will love God more. You will know God's love for you uh, to a greater degree, and that in turn is going to allow you to love your neighbors more fully, especially those who are closest to you, the neighbors who live with you in your own house or next door. Uh, that's my prayer and hope for you. There's the three things. Now, let's, uh, let's shift gears, and for this next uh, part of the video, we're going to think about Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52, this incredible story of Jesus walking on the water. Let me lay out some context for you. Immediately preceding this story um, and this event, Jesus has been up on the mountain. He has been instructing the crowds who flock to him. He's been teaching them about what it means, of course, you know, to love and to live and to see God's grace at work everywhere. 
He's been teaching the crowds. Even as he's nourished their souls, he's begun to notice something. That they're growing hungry. And Jesus cares not just about our spirits, our souls, but also our bodies. He created us with a body. And so he cares about their hungry, grumbling bellies. You know the story. They scrounge around for some food. They find a kid who's got five loaves and two fish. And Jesus miraculously multiplies that food so that there is enough to feed 5,000 who have gathered. There's even enough left over for the 12 disciples. Because here's a God who cares uh, about our bodies and our souls. So listen carefully because this is what happens next. Mark 6, 45 to 52. Immediately, he ordered the disciples to get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he remained to dismiss the crowds. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully because the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, as between about three and six in the morning, he came to them walking on the sea. And he meant to pass by them but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought that it was a ghost and they cried out because they were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. And immediately the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, I thought about this passage this week um, simply because of the context in which we find ourselves in our country and in the world. And I think in this passage in particular, we find a God who is concerned about our bodies, about our physical well-being. Um, in the passage immediately preceding, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He cares when they are, not just when they're sick or suffering, but also just when they're hungry. He wants to provide even such basic needs as daily bread for us, as food for us to eat. But this passage also reveals to us a God who doesn't just care about our bodies, but a God whose ways are not our ways whose perspective is wider than our narrow field of vision. This is a God who sees all things, all of time and space, and how it is knit and woven together. Uh, This God comes to them in Jesus and tells the disciples to get into the boat and to go before him to the other side. And so the disciples get into the boat. And they begin, they set sail. And then, during the course of their journey, night falls. Darkness descends. 
Their way grows slower and they have to set their backs against the oars because the way has grown so challenging. The wind is against them. The seas are growing rocky. The way is hard. Maybe this sounds just a little bit, given the the thoughts in the disciples' hearts, like, where's Jesus? Maybe this sounds a little bit like our current day and time. For surely we as communities, as a nation, as the world, are navigating a tumultuous sea that is the coronavirus. We have set sail. We are about halfway across. Uh, The darkness and the difficulty has descended. We are making headway painfully because everything seems set against us. Surely a few of us have looked around and wondered, Jesus, where are you? Why did you send us out on this journey? Why have we come here? And where are you in the midst of it? Perhaps those questions have occurred to you in the last few weeks. Thankfully, the passage tells us exactly where Jesus is. The boat was out on the sea. And Jesus was alone on the land. What was Jesus doing alone on the land? He had ascended. He had climbed up on top of the mountain to pray. And here we discover one of the principal responsibilities or jobs that Jesus has as the ascended Christ and the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. He's praying. He's praying for you. Intercession. In the course of Jesus' life, there's some particular stages. His incarnation, his birth at Christmas, right? Uh, His life, uh, which is in many ways a suffering, but certainly the last week of his life we call the passion. His death on the cross, his uh, burial in the tomb, and then his resurrection, his um, um, exit from the tomb on Easter morning, uh, his rising again. And his ascension then is the next stage to the right hand of the Father where he's given the name above every name at which name every knee will bow and tongue confess that he's Lord. From that place, we learn that Jesus intercedes for us. Jesus right now is praying for you. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that life-giving? You can read about this in the book of Hebrews. Jesus uh, and his work as our great high priest, um, the one mediator between God and humanity. Jesus is praying for you right now, if you're wondering where he is, but here's the next part of the passage that is so incredibly moving. It's the gospel right here. Though the disciples can't see Jesus, the spray from the waves is too great, uh, they're having to work too hard where they are. Maybe, maybe you're working too hard right now. If you're, you're a medical uh, healthcare professional and you are on the clock 24-7. So you are in the middle of the night at work and you feel like you're making no progress. The wind is set against you. Or maybe you are at home doing the work that the rest of us are doing, trying to flatten the curve of this virus. Maybe you can't see Jesus in the moment. But here's the thing. Jesus can see you. As Jesus prays for you from atop the mountain, he looks out and he sees that his disciples are making headway painfully and that the wind is set against them. And here's the gospel right here. 
imagine the mountain as the holy mountain, even as heaven. Jesus, um, for all eternity, is the Son of the Father and with the Spirit has experienced a life of peace and, and perfect love and perfect fulfillment and blessing. But God, out of his abundant love, decided to make a world and make us, and he did that. And when this world turned away from him, as they set sail across the journey of time and space and found themselves in a rocky place uh, in the midst of um, tribulation, what did God do? The Father sent the Son, and the Son descended. He walked down the mountain, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of time and space, the Lord of life and death, and he walked, Lord of the universe, down the mountain, across the sea. And he drew near to his people, to his creation. He came as one of us, as a human being. He walked across the sea, and the text says that he meant to pass by the disciples. God doesn't force himself on you. Maybe this morning the radical shift in our world and your basic day-to-day has caused you to ask questions you've never asked before. Maybe you're watching this and you're wondering, how do I learn about or explore this God thing? God comes and draws near to us in the midst of the storm, in the middle of the night. He comes near, but He doesn't make us believe, but He shows us signs of grace He meant to go ahead of them, to meet them up um, on the other side, but they cried out, didn't they? The disciples cried out to the Lord. They were afraid. They were more afraid of Jesus than they were of the storm. It's actually a very typical reaction of people in the Bible when they receive a messenger from heaven, when they encounter uh, an angelic visitor, or when they encounter uh, God come to visit them. When you catch those glimpses, you know, if God appeared to you right now, if Jesus stood beside you, you would probably um, be a little bit afraid too. But then Jesus speaks to them what angelic heavenly messengers always speak. It's a word of grace. Jesus speaks the word he always speaks to us. He says to them and to us, do not be afraid. In fact, he says more than that. He says, take heart. It is I. It's me. I've come to be with you. Do not be afraid. And then the most remarkable thing happens. Jesus gets in the boat with them. Have you ever used that expression? Well, I guess we're in the same boat. Uh, Yes, that is what God has chosen for you. God comes and gets in the boat with us so that our fate is his, so that his is ours. He shares that. God is not aloof, separated from our suffering, from our difficulties, from the coronavirus. God comes and enters into the midst of all of it to share in it with us, to be alongside us, to show us that he is enough and that he has a plan in which he is working all things together for good. Jesus gets in the boat And immediately the winds cease. At this point in time, maybe Christians ought to ask the question, does being a Christian, does knowing God, does living with and for God make any difference in the world? And I think one thing that we can share is that when we have God with us in the boat, we have a peace. It passes all understanding. We know that Jesus is with us and that he's for us. 
He is with us in the boat to face whatever comes ahead. We don't know what it is. God knows. But we don't. But God says, I'm with you all the way. Um, But in one sense, we don't know the end of maybe this immediate pandemic and and that sort of thing. But we do know that for all of us as human beings, we we do know what that distant shore holds. It holds uh, death. All of us as we cross the sea of life face an end point. We all must face death uh, sooner or later. And, and here's where the, the amazing thing is. So Jesus is in the boat with us, but he also did go ahead of us. He went ahead of us to the place of death. He went um, and died so that there is no place in heaven or on earth, nothing that we must face that Jesus has not already faced for us. He goes ahead of us into death so that he might conquer death so that he might open the tomb, so that he might open in the same way that distant shore that is heaven's shore, so that we might be able to look forward with confidence to a place where there is no more death, no more dying, no more coronavirus, no more pandemic, no more suffering, no more tears, no more loss anymore, but where all is love and joy communion and fellowship. That's what we have to look forward to. So the invitation this morning is to invite Jesus into your boat. As we cross this sea together, as we make this journey, even separated physically in our own homes, invite Jesus into your home. Invite Jesus into your heart. Invite Jesus into your life because when you allow him to captain this ship that is your life's journey, You can have the peace that comes from knowing He is with you and for you and powerful over all things. And you can have the peace that comes from knowing that one day when you reach that final shore, you will reach a shore where all indeed is love and beauty and peace. I pray that this word blesses you today. Know that I miss you. And I look forward to when we can see one another again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.